All right, everyone. It's uh, welcome back to the No Gi Required. Today, have uh, to me, is, uh, everyone is a special, but Eddie Bravo, it's double special because I know this gentleman for quite some time from the beginning until today. Eddie, welcome on board, sir. John Jack, my shot. Can you believe we have a podcast now? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, I knew you would be good at podcasts once you started doing those live Instagram interviews, I knew from from the way you, you were a natural at uh, taking control of interviews and interviewing people. I'm like, damn, he's going to end up being his own, a host to his own podcast. And look at you now. Man, I don't know. It, just, it was just a simple idea that people need some kind of uh, entertainment and uh, from live Instagram now and uh, let's see. People, I want everyone to tell their story. I want to hear from you too. The jiu-jitsu community is huge and the history is always intriguing. The history of jiu-jitsu, all these Americans that are doing jiu-jitsu and, and all the non-Brazilians all over the world that are doing jiu-jitsu, they love the history. And like new bits and pieces of history keep coming out. Like Robert Drysdale's book on um man i'll tell you i'll tell you what i one of my friends has the book and i'm not i don't read books i'm i'm sorry i'm i didn't go to college i'm not very smart super unintelligent i don't read any books i i just don't know what's real i read a lot of magazines though but the book that drysdale wrote on the history of brazilian jiu-jitsu in brazil like the timeline he based the way he did it was is brilliant is I it's perfect for guys like me who don't read books is all he did was interview all the oldest guys in jiu-jitsu like not just the Gracies like the, everybody and uh, when you open the book in in big bold face are the questions every wherever you open it there's going to be questions on either side and you just read the question and if that question sounds interesting you read the answer it doesn't even matter who it is it's every guy some old dude from the 1920s and 1930s and has their version of jujitsu in brazil it doesn't matter who it is i don't even remember who it is but it's so <laughs> entertaining any any page you open up to it'll say how what were what were what were your thoughts of jujitsu in the early days? Who were the most important figures? And then you you want to every question is interesting, so you want to know the answer, and it doesn't matter. It's it's just a different view from a guy who was around back then. It's crazy because uh, what we know, what the average jujitsu practitioner knows about the history of jujitsu in Brazil, is it's, it's minuscule. We all we know, Maeda taught Carlos. And then Carlos taught Helio, and then Helio won a thousand matches, and then he had Hickson. He, he also, I also had a class with Maeda, because I know that because the movie that uh, is going to be about his life and Hickson Grace's life. It's going to be about Maeda's life, right? Maeda, Maeda and Hickson. It's from the beginning of Jiu-Jitsu until the modern days following the Hickson. Yeah. And uh, that's funny mention Robert Drysdale. I was with him a couple weeks ago. He came by and uh, I have a lot of his books here. And that was very interesting because a lot of the things I heard as a kid in Brazil from my uncles is this story about it. And a lot of things I end up finding out after start reading his book. Because in Brazil, it's not only Carlos and Helio that learn Jiu-Jitsu. They had a brother named George, too. They have a brother named George, and, and many other people learned from the Japanese, not from Maeda, but yeah. from other Japanese. There was other people besides Maeda. Yes. See, we don't know that. We just know we have that basic story. We think like Americans from the 90s, we thought Maeda like no, did, did no. we thought, look, this is the story. Maeda did Gasto Gracie a solid and taught Carlos Gracie some privates at his house. And then Carlos Gracie showed his younger brother, Helio, and then they dominated jiu-jitsu. That's what we thought. But in reality, Maeda had a bunch of schools in Brazil, right? Or a, a few, or a giant academy with a bunch of instructors. It, it was it was way more complex, and a bunch of Brazilians learned uh, jiu-jitsu from I, the Japanese. I, I think we have uh, a lot of people, or the people that learn, a lot of the people that did taught and practice jiu-jitsu and they have students but no one had an idea as my uncle carlos to create a family 
Yeah. They vote. Totally. To jujitsu. I mean, that was so many people learn, but no one were capable at that time to keep jujitsu alive. And that's, that's the amazing thing. And he's going to do a movie about it with portions of the movies already ready to go. And I'm going to be about maybe 20 minutes to the whole process. I'm going to be the one narrating the scenes and all the things because uh, they want to have some kind of Brazilian accent. And I guess they like my accent. <laughs> uh, the one thing I found interesting, and, and yes, you're absolutely right. When I talk about this, I don't want to put out a, a, a misunderstanding. Oh, no, 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 no. I understand. The grace, I understand. The, we thought it was, you know, real simple, but it's, it wasn't simple. A lot of Brazilians learned jujitsu. A lot of Brazilians learned from the Japanese. Maeda taught a bunch, but... The reason we're here right now, the reason everybody's here right now, had is because of the Gracies. That let's let's make no mistake about that. It was the Gracies who, who decided to be a family of. Uh, it's like just this dynasty clan of you know jujitsu practitioners. Like every, it seemed like every male in the Gracie family did jiu-jitsu, right? Or at least like 90%, oh, no, no. right? Everyone, everyone in the family did jiu-jitsu. Most of them became black belts. But I think uh, people that had the chance to be near Carlos Gracie, he always had, he was ahead of his time. He had that vision when nobody else had it. He always pushed everyone in our family to have lots of kids to continue the art that we learned from the nutrition side, from the jujitsu side, he always pushed everyone. He, en he encouraged everybody to have he a bunch of kids. encouraged to have a lot of kids. I wonder if there was some of the guys were like, uh, and, and uncle, uncle, on, I want to be honest this. with you. On, I can barely yeah. handle two kids right now. You want me to have more? <laughs> he goes, trust me, you're going to you're gonna thank me later. Like, I don't know, I can barely ha hang with two. Correct me if I'm wrong, <laughs> if, if I heard it right. You also have a lot of members in your family, right? Yes. Uh, my dad, uh, I think, outdid Carlos Gracie. How many kids did Carlos Gracie have? 21. Oh, okay, okay. My, da my dad only had 19. <laughs> right. Oh, my God. Do they yeah. all do jiu-jitsu? <laughs> <laughs> That's true. That's true. That's true. So Carlos had more kids and uh, had more quality kids. For no, sure. That, look. But, but uh, the, one, the one thing... The, Make no mistake about it, we wouldn't be here if it wasn't for the Gracies. I uh, was uh, obsessed with the Gracies. When I when, when I first saw UFC 2, at the beginning of that show, I hated Hoist. At the end of the show, I was obsessed. I was like, I gotta learn this shit. But it's, it's fascinating learning uh, the details of the, the history. And one detail is fascinating, is that they, uh, Helio, had a brother named George Gracie who was who fought a lot, and according to this book, according to the book, I just I read a few pages of it, and it was on George Gracie and and what what he was about is the reason why he was sort of ignored in the official mainstream version of the history of uh, the Gracies was because he took a lot of fake fights and that wasn't uncommon back then. There was a lot of fake carnival fights and a lot of people gambling and there was a lot of fraud going on. And according to this book, according to Robert Drysdale's book, Closed Guard, somebody in there is saying, like Helio hated fixing fights. Helio would never fix a fight. Carlos, they weren't into fixing fights. They just wanted real fights. But George was out there making money and hustling. So they kind of just said, okay, you're on your own, dog. We don't want to have anything to do with the fakery. Is that, is, is that true? Yes, I'll leave everyone to read the book and do your research. A lot of things out there. And, uh, is that true or, or is that fake? I, I will, what do you I will, think? I will leave everyone to go and find out on their own. You know? Damn, there's your answer. Did George has family coming after uh, Robert Drysdale? <laughs> <laughs> but that's interesting, right? Because there's a question. Like, how come we didn't know about George? We knew about Helio. We knew about Carlos. And basically, that's it. Maybe, <clears throat> maybe we <clears throat> there was a couple other Gracies that are out there too that we are that were who who it's, were the other brothers who were helio's brothers hobson no no hobson's no. uh it was carlos george and uh helio yeah. that's it and, just the other, three? and they had sisters so it was just those three brothers and they had sisters yes so george was the only other one wow 
I wonder what happened to him. Did he... Uh, did he save that money he made from fixing fights? I'll be, I'll be honest with you. I, I did not hear much about growing up on him. And we have more Carlos and Helio. I was the, the ones that uh, took charge. And uh, I never heard much. And the book now is to reveal things that I had no idea it happened. I don't even know if all those things are true or not. I know they did an amazing research to, to find out the history. And... About the history of Jiu-Jitsu, here I am with Eddie Bravo, which also become part of history. You made history in our sport, succeeding in the fight aspect and also outside the mat now, not only teaching, but also having tournaments. And I would say, in a way, it's like a, a, a good way of a revolution to bring even more reality to Jiu-Jitsu. Um, Tell me about it, Daddy. All the events that you've been doing, you have the EBI, which was very successful, and I'm sure it's going to come back next year. And you have now the combat that's been happening now in other countries that they're allowed to happen. When that idea started, what was the force behind that? Well, for me, <clears throat> jujitsu that works with strikes or jujitsu that works in realistic situations always seem to be very important to me. Uh, maybe it's because, uh, maybe because I kind of talked myself into a corner about it and then I had to uh, get on a mission to, to, to prove my theories or whatever. But <clears throat> combat jiu-jitsu is really just a way to get data, real data on, on, on what the best jiu-jitsu is because there's such a big difference between jiu-jitsu and MMA jiu-jitsu. It's so big. It's the, the, it's so vast. And in between the subsects of jiu-jitsu, like um, uh, gi, and then no gi with points, and then sub-only no gi, and then MMA, right? So there's a big difference between gi and no gi with points. There's a big difference between that. Big difference. There's a bigger difference between gi and sub only. Oh, that big, big difference. Yeah, yeah. It's a big difference. We're seeing it every day. It's just, we see it. At first, we couldn't see it. We couldn't see it that much in the 90s. We couldn't see it that much in the 2000s because it was all gi. And the people that did no gi, they only did no, no gi a little bit. They did it. Mo most jujitsu practitioners trained in the gi. So we didn't really see it. We thought, ah, it's the same thing. No gi and gi, it's the same thing, right? But now it's really clear how different it is. It's so different. But it's also, it's just as different as the gi, or no gi, sorry, no gi and MMA. Man, that's huge. Forget about the gi. Just no gi, sub only. Like sub only. As close as, that's before, you know, a few years ago, the closest we got to MMA was sub only. That's it. But there's such a big difference between sub only and MMA. Still, there's a giant difference. Hey, for instance, uh, one of the most popular guards in sub only is sit up guard. You sit up, you're looking for two on ones, looking for a little clinch, sitting up, little butterflies, boom. That guard doesn't exist in MMA. There's no sit up guard in MMA, you get killed. So that guard right there is out, but that is probably the most popular sub-only guard. Sub-only, everyone's sitting on their butt and you know going two-on-ones. That is the doesn't exist in MMA. You'll get killed. Maybe it exists for a second, but you can't stay there. And there's no MMA fights with someone sitting up. So that's a problem to me. Not a problem to most people, but for me, because I'm, I'm crazy. And I'm obsessed with trying to figure out what jiu-jitsu is best uh, with strikes. That's it. It's always been theories. Theories, theories, theories. Because there's such a difference between nogi and MMA, it's all theories. Everyone's got theories. Oh, I'm going to do this when I do that. And if he does this, because we rarely see a real fight. Real fight. All we see in, in UFC and in MMA shows, you, the, the, the data that happens in those fights, that's the data. Look, it worked. It didn't work. Look, look what happens. That's all we have. But in MMA and, and the, especially in the UFC, 
ground fighting is becoming more and more rare. It's not, there, you don't see that much ground fighting. You do every now and then. We have great jiu-jitsu players out there. There's a lot of great ones, but you, a lot of fights are just kickboxing and the wrestling takedown do, defense. Do you, so, think, do you think if you take the gloves off, it will be more grappling because people hurt their hands? And it'll uh, be a, it will be a less difficult to go for a choke or anything like that? Yeah, we, we definitely the, the gl wearing gloves makes a little difference. Uh, but what I wanted to uh, just once and for all, just to, let's just get a lot of data. And we're not getting a lot of data from the UFC because, again, there ain't that much grappling going on. I would say like maybe less than 20% of the UFC fighters are really, really, really good at jiu-jitsu. Most of them don't need to be. They're just, what's most important is the kickboxing and the wrestling, take, the takedown defense. That's huge. So, and when the fight does hit the ground, you don't see that much high-level jiu-jitsu. You see it every now and then, but you don't see that much of it. So the data is, is uh is rare like you, you rarely see data and it, everything's still about theories right so with combat jiu-jitsu i wanted to get as much data as possible with jiu-jitsu that works with strikes that's all it is so that's what we're seeing now we're seeing we're seeing instead of theories we're seeing what really works um and, and in combat jiu-jitsu you don't see a lot of sit-up guard you don't see it because you're going to get smacked so we're seeing okay i, I would tell you something watching the combat jiu-jitsu when when I start training jiu-jitsu in Brazil, we didn't have as many tournaments, jiu-jitsu tournaments that we have today. There was maybe once a year, twice a year. Sometimes the tournament was somewhere too far away, and we never trained jiu-jitsu with that purpose. I never, I don't remember learning jiu-jitsu from my instructor saying, "Hey, you do this is two points, or you do that is you have advantage." We never, I never heard that. You do a technique rely on points a sweep or anything everything we heard is go for the submission back those days and training brazil we always base and the main purpose of us training jiu-jitsu was to protect ourselves with self-defense 100 percent and the amazing thing is today we see the growth of jiu-jitsu the sport aspect which is a portion of jiu-jitsu which i believe 80% that you learn in the sport aspect, you're not going to use in a real fight. And that's a fact. That's on the data. And the combat jiu-jitsu that you're doing today brings me back to the roots of jiu-jitsu. Because remember, on the end of the class, we used to take the top of our gi and go open hands. Yeah. There we go. And slap each other in a way and train for that purpose. Yeah, keep it honest. And that was it. When you... We, we would able we would be able to hit very very hard on the body and we save on the face but yeah. we train every end of the class we do that to make sure we are aware of the danger because a lot of people forget when you train jiu-jitsu and you have a guard you sometimes get a little lazy and forget that people can actually yeah hit you yeah and watching all the events that you're putting out brings back the main purpose of jiu-jitsu in the early days that's the whole point that's the whole point. It's, and it's kind of you're going back to this point, which was not explored enough. And for me, it's the first time I see a tournament that actually introduced. And some people say, why not just do MMA? It just looks like, just do MMA. I'm like, they don't get the point. They don't get the reason I'm doing this. The reason why we do, we have get downs. We don't have stand. In MMA, if you're on the ground and there's nothing happen, happening, they stand them up. In combat jiu-jitsu, you could only stand for a minute and we get you down. We put you on the ground. Because the whole purpose of this is to get the data. The data of what works, what jiu-jitsu works when they're striking. It's not about uh, kickboxing. It's not about getting kickboxing data. It's not about getting... Uh, um, Muay Thai data, boxing data, wrestling data. It's not about getting that. It's all about jujitsu and getting jujitsu data, jujitsu data that tells us what works and what doesn't work at a high level. In, and not only that, in, in with combat jujitsu, the jujitsu is generally higher level than it is in MMA. So we're getting jujitsu data from high, higher level quality jujitsu players. So we're get we're learning a lot. 
there are so much theory, Jean-Jacques, so much theory. Especially like when, with leg locks, right? So leg locks, initially we thought, uh, oh, MMA, they're too dangerous. If you go for leg locks, you could get knocked out. Stay away from leg locks. They're too dangerous. Okay, okay, last minute, last resort, you go for leg locks. If you're getting your ass beat and nothing's working, that became the thing. It was like, the that's the overall consensus. Of, you take all MMA coaches, you put them all in the same room, and they'll all tell you, go for leg locks. It's okay if you know nothing else is working, last resort, but don't go right to it. Don't go right to it as your go-to because it's too dangerous. You're going to get killed. So it was. there's a lot of theory in that. And with combat jiu-jitsu, we learned that that's not right. You know what we're learning is, yes, there are bad spots for leg locks. Stay away from those spots. But there's really good spots with for leg locks with striking. As a matter of fact, there's spots in leg locks that will save you from getting beat up. And we've, we've seen it. We've seen glimpses of it in the UFC. And uh, there was an ultimate fighter where a Brazilian, I forget his name, a Brazilian was on his back. And his opponent was like in a horse stance on top of him, over him, just landing ground and pound on him. And the Brazilian was getting beat. And he went for a knee bar on his opponent's left leg. He went for a knee bar as he was still standing and the guy was still standing. And the Brazilian put his left shin across, as he went up and got inverted, he put his left shin across his body, he was protecting him. Dude couldn't punch him no more. Just because the act of going for a knee bar in that particular situation, which is very common, and that's one of your worst nightmare situations. You're on your back and the guy's horse dancing over you, throwing bombs. That's a bad, bad spot. So right there, we learn like, damn, if you're in that bad spot, just go for a knee bar, even if it doesn't work. Just get in that knee bar threat and it saves you. And then the guy turned away and tried to pull out of the knee bar. The Brazilian followed him, took his back, jumped on his back and choked him out. So that's the kind of data that was in the UFC. And that's the kind of data that we're collecting in combat jiu-jitsu because, you know, all the, the modern day in the Saboni game without strikes, man, leg locks are huge. Leg locks are the most important part of the game in sub only when there's no points and it's just sub only and everything is legal the most important thing is leg locks if you don't know leg locks you're gonna get fucked up that's it that's it it's it's insane right now do you see do you see that as an evolution in terms of changing the game because it's always generations that you see more of one technique and more of the other technique you see that on the on the growth of jiu-jitsu in general and now you see some organizations that were not allowing footlocks, bringing footlocks into their game to make more realistic. How do you see that change? Is for the exposure that you just present to us now, the reality? Well, well, um, what happened was there was IBJJF style, gi with points, no heel hooks, all right? So there's no reason if you want to win an, a gi world championship, every it's a waste of time learning leg lock. So there's no need for that. Now then, there's no gi IBJJF. That became the big thing. Uh, you can't do heel hooks in that either. So again, those are the two most prestigious tournaments: gi and no gi IBJJF. The most prestigious. No heel hooks. Uh, uh, heel hooks are not allowed. So there's no reason to do heel hooks there. And then on the opposite end of the spectrum, you have MMA. And the general consensus was, don't get too crazy with heel hooks because they're too dangerous. You're going to get knocked out. So in M if you're training for MMA, there's no reason to get heavy with leg locks. And if you're training for the most prestigious, IBJJF gi, no gi, there's no need to train heel hooks. So the only reason you would train heel hooks is Abu Dhabi. That was it. That was it. If you want to do Abu Dhabi, you train heel hooks. But that point system, you could avoid a heel hooker. Like if you're going against a guy who's a heel hooker, you just avoid him. Uh, he's going to pull guard. You, you just stay safe, sprawl. And then you you, you just, uh, just stay away, sprawl, 
He's going to pull guard in the second half. He's going to lose by advantage. You get through that. People think you stalled and you were afraid. It doesn't matter. You go on to the next round. That leg locker's gone. So it's hard to be a leg locker, pure leg locker, and win at a high rate in Abu Dhabi. Lee, Dean Lister did it. Paharis had some success. Ryan Hall had some success. Um, uh, Lachlan Giles had some success. But generally... In, in ADCC, we learned that if you run into a leg locker, he might get, the leg locker might get the first round, boom, leg lock, bam, he got a leg lock quick. Second round, a guy will sacrifice his round and stay safe just to get you out of the way and advance. That's what's been happening. So you really didn't see, haven't seen anybody crush through Abu Dhabi with heel hooks. So right there, IBJJF, no reason to do heel hooks. Abu Dhabi ain't that important. Couple guys could sneak through, but no one's dominating in Abu Dhabi with heel hooks. And then MMA, too dangerous, you're gonna get knocked out. There's no reason to do heel hooks, all right? But there was always heel hook masters out there, sprinkled, and they, you know what they like? They like going to open mats and catching everybody with heel hooks. There was always those guys. It's, it's you know almost I mean? like few people are not prepared for that. Exactly. So uh, Danaher, he was all heel hooked out. He, him and his, Eddie Cummings was a heel hooker. Uh, um, Gary Tonin, um, all those guys from the Danaher death squad were heel hooking, but there was no real arena for them to shine in. Right, IBJJF, they weren't gonna do anything there. They're illegal. MMA, they weren't doing MMA. Abu Dhabi, they try to do Abu Dhabi, but again, it's very hard with that rule set to crush with, with heel hooks. Guys could just stall you out. Um, <clears throat> then came ZBI. And then comes, exactly, Saboni. Once the Saboni game was born, that was the arena where the guys that were focusing on leg locks could really shine. And then, you know, Eddie Cummings, Gary Tonin, all the Danaher Death Squad guys just caught everybody with their pants down. You know, in 10th Planet, I wasn't anti-leg lock at all. I had my leg lock guys. My right-hand man, when I first opened up, was a leg lock guy. And I thought, okay, he's going to show everyone leg locks. We'll sprinkle it in, but we won't get too crazy with them because the general consensus, again, in MMA was you don't want to get too crazy with heel hooks because you'll get knocked out. And one of my guys was an MMA fighter. He loved heel hooks and knee bars, and he had every time he went for a leg lock or a knee bar, he got knocked out. And I had to sit him down. I was like, dude, it's too dangerous. You know, I was even, I, I was sold. So I wasn't going heavy with heel hooks, but I had guys all over my association who were heel hookers. I was just like, okay, you, I would like, uh, you know, if I couldn't teach that night, I would have one of my heel hookers come in, do a heel hook class, boom, and then I'm gone, just to make sure my guys got some heel hooks. Just, I wanted everyone, I don't want anybody, as an instructor, you don't want your, your students to get caught with some shit you didn't teach them, you feel bad, you know what I mean? So, but... When um, I did EBI and all heel hooks and all reaping and everything was legal, everything was legal, right there, boom, I realized, shit, I'm not doing enough heel hooks. Every class I had two guys that were really good and I thought that was good enough. I go, every class I got a heel hooker, he's a heel hooker and he's a heel hooker. I'm good, I'm good. No, it's not good until everybody is doing heel hooks. The kids, the women, the white belts, Everybody, every day there's got to, like, I realize if in this game, this sub-only game, if you want to participate in the sub-only game, you got to have leg locks in your, in your, your da it's, daily diet. It's like, it's, it's got to be like daily now, diet. Uh, a new generation that comes in, I think the first thing they learn in their class is heel hooks. Yeah, yeah. But first but, class, first week, they jump in and they become experts. Yeah. So what ended up happening is, um, the story is I wanted to do combat jiu-jitsu uh, way before EBI. EBI was the backup plan. I, back in, two, uh, EBI started in 2014, um, and in 2012, I got combat jiu-jitsu sanctioned. Be because of the strikes, I had to involve the commission. So the commission had to sanction it as a sport, and they did kind they kind of didn't know what to expect i wanted to do combat jiu-jitsu outside of a cage i didn't want to do it in a cage i didn't want to have gloves i wanted to palm strike have palm strikes in regular jiu-jitsu mats but the commission was like no that's weird you're going to do it in a cage if you want to do it in a cage and we're going to do three two-minute rounds i'm like three two-minute rounds i wanted one ten-minute round I'm like man three two-minute rounds 
I go, how about, like, well, you go, okay, we can give you three three-minute rounds. I'm like, and then you got to wear gloves and you got to be in a cage. I'm like, uh, okay. I was just happy that it got sanctioned. And I said, let's try to do this. So I did one combat jiu-jitsu match in 2012 on a, a amateur MMA show in LA called University of MMA, Turi Altavia. He uh, used to train here. He's one of your yeah, yeah. Old former students. He ended up having a show called University of MMA. It was an amateur MMA show. And he helped me. He put me in contact with the commission and we got combat jiu-jitsu sanctioned. And we did one special combat jiu-jitsu match on one of his MMA shows, his amateur MMA shows. So we did one special combat jiu-jitsu. And, and um, it had mixed reviews. Some people liked it. Some people were like, why? They're, they can't punch standing. But it was weird. And then we did another one on his next show, mixed reviews. And then I decided, you know what? If I, the cage and the gloves, it's just, make, it, 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 it looks like, uh, it looks like the same. horrible MMA. It looks like it looks like just yeah, 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 exactly. stupid MMA. But if you take off the gloves and you just have jujitsu match like Abu Dhabi, and all of a sudden those guys start fucking smacking each other, like oh, oh it looks gangster. It's it's optics. So I couldn't get it the way I wanted. I wanted one ten minute round. So I said, fuck it. I'm not gonna deal with the commission. I'm just gonna do EBI. I'm gonna do sub only. So that was the backup plan. It was only because I couldn't get combat jujitsu going the way I wanted to. So I did EBI one. And then uh, after we did um, EBI. Uh, How many 10, EBIs we had? I think like 17. After I did EBI 10, I decided, let me, let me go back to EBI 10 was our biggest one. That was a great show. That was huge. We did it in Mexico city. That was, that was the best to this day. I think has the most views. Uh, but anyways, um, I went back to the commission. I said, can I do the combat jujitsu the way I want it on regular match? Just like EBI, just like EBI. Imagine EBI. Cause the commission, uh, most of them do jujitsu and they loved EBI. So now they're like, Oh shit, we love EBI. And I go, Think about EBI with palm strikes, though. Think about that. Can I do that? And they go, yeah, you can. That would be awesome. I'm like, oh, shit. Now I get it. Now they're going to let me do it. So we did EBI 11, regular EBI, 16-man tournament, no strikes. And then we also did a little mini four-man combat jiu-jitsu tournament within just to test the waters. And... It was so much better than the tournament. Just the four-man con. People were freaking out when they started smacking. They're like, what? Do you think These also guys are hitting each other? <laughs> people were more aware and prepared for that. Maybe because the, the time that you did, people were like, oh, what is this? And, yes, And after yes. a while, people are more used to grappling and the reality. They, I think they trusted me more. Because back then, I didn't have a show. It was just all ideas. You know, because I didn't want to be a promoter. I didn't want to... My ideas... I was trying to pawn them off to other promoters because I don't want to deal with fighters. I'm, I don't have the personality for that. I don't, I don't want to be a promoter. I was trying to give my ideas to other guys. I would sit there and tell them. They'd be like, what? I would try to tell them about uh, EBI OT and uh, the philosophy behind it. And they're like, uh, you are retarded. <laughs> EBI OT, you know. Um, so with the EBI OT, that overtime, whether it's EBI or combat jiu-jitsu, it's the same OT. And since day one of jiu-jitsu in the United States, I think Joe Morero Morer was the first big promoter of jiu-jitsu in LA. But you, you guys did a police academy a tournament. I think that was that. the first one. The, the police, police academy, academy was the yeah. first jiu-jitsu one. And then Joe Morera kind of came in and threw the big ones. And <clears throat> and um, since day one, the problem, every after every jiu-jitsu tournament, there's going to be people pissed off at the ref and the points, the judging, everybody's, anybody who loses, it's the ref, it's the judging, <laughs> I will tell it's you, look, everybody in, all the time. It's always my, been the problem. In my early stage in Brazil, the referee was also an issue. That's for sure. Yeah. Every tournament. Yeah. Nobody oh, yeah. wants to Even be a in Brazil. In the Brazil, it's Nobody. always, it's, I mean, the point system and trying to count sweeps and there are all the near sweeps no, and the advantages. I, I, I grew up with no advantage. No, There's no such a thing as a half guard. Yeah. Are you a guard or no guard? Yeah. No half. Yeah. yeah. It's full or, or no guard? Yeah. With nothing, oh, you get half guard, you get advantage. With no advantage. Never yeah. exists. But what you did with uh, the combat jujitsu, which is what I, I liked when I saw it, because I don't really watch much MMA anymore. 
I mean, I, I, I was really into it. Me neither. It. When you had the, the jujitsu guys all fighting, I, I enjoyed watching the technique. I'm not a big fan of the bloodbath. Yeah, I want to, like, seriously, like, for me, I know it's because it's, it's probably because it's my show, but I really don't even follow MMA that much no more. Well, because I just want to follow combat jujitsu. But, and, and, <laughs> but well, you know, also, is a lot less injury. Yeah, yeah. And I just, all that it matters to me, I already know Muay Thai. You mix Muay Thai with Western boxing, that's the best. I already know that. You throw some Taekwondo in there, that's beautiful. A Muay Thai guy with who grew up doing Taekwondo and, and does Western boxing, I already know that's the best. There's no theories. There's no theories. It's already proven. Uh, takedowns, wrestling. We already know. It's proven 100%. Jiu-Jitsu is a whole different animal. It's it has so many more layers. It's so much more vast than than kickboxing or than wrestling. It's but, huge. But, it's, it's like it's endless. So there's so many theories. Yeah, but the problem is, especially with MMA, is that um, it's not it, unless you do it, and you and otherwise you don't understand what's going on. The fighters are encouraged. I would imagine they want the bonus, the fight of the night, the knockout. They don't, the, the audience doesn't want to see two guys go to the ground. They stay there for a little while. What happens eventually, the ref pulls them up. So you're seeing less and less of the, exactly. the ground. So what exactly. you did, you took that piece of the pie that's been taken away. Yes. And you Focus just, on that. Yeah, it's like what happens when it gets to the ground, but we're allowed to hit. Yeah, combat jiu-jitsu is for the, guy, for the guys out there. It's, it's, a, it's a, niche, a niche thing for sure. That They're not interested in watching the I don't care about the striking. I really don't. I really have no, I don't care about the striking at all. I mean, Israel Adesanya, I'll watch him. You know, one of my fighters, I like, I want to watch their striking. But generally, I've gotten to the point where I just want to watch jujitsu with strikes. And that's what combat jujitsu is. It's for the guys, you know, we have, like I said, you can only stand for a minute and we get you down. We put you on the ground. It's but this is the reality. And the altercations today, it's proved that 77% the fights end up on the ground. Yeah, that's that's been proof. Yeah, but people forget that <laughs> when you go to the ground, people can still strike each other. Yeah, that's why the combat comes in, and you're making people be prepared for that kind of situation, which is the one that you're gonna spend most of your time. Yeah, and coincidentally, it's more exciting too. Jiu-jitsu, it's way more exciting than jujitsu without strikes. I mean, if I didn't believe that, I wouldn't be doing it. Keep I'm Keep doing it mind. because I believe that. I, it's way more exciting for me to watch jujitsu with some palm strikes. It doesn't have, we don't need elbows. We don't need it. We don't need We don't need to get, you know, close fists. We don't need to get too crazy. Just a little bit to, to keep jujitsu honest. That's it. And as far as the overtime goes, the overtime that I developed, it, it was always, just like I said earlier, the judges were always the problem. The refs were always the problem. The overtime was always also a problem too. When um, Grappler's Quest or Naga started coming up, um, it was a little, it was like, okay, it's a little bit better now. They're allowing heel hooks, uh, but it was still a point system. And um, uh, the overtimes was a, another dimension with its own problem where a wrestler could come in, and I love wrestling. Wrestling is the best form of takedowns, hands down. Wrestling is the best. But when you would have wrestlers come in to a Naga or to a Grappler's Quest and win in overtime because the overtime caters to the wrestlers, all they would do is, like in regulation, they would just not go to the ground. They're going against some jiu-jitsu guy. Maybe the jiu-jitsu, for sure the jiu-jitsu guy is way more jiu-jitsu skills than the wrestler but the, he can't take the wrestler down the wrestler won't engage he goes into overtime and in overtime generally first points win or it's like a three minute overtime it's like a so, the, the, so whoever is better at wrestling in OT generally even in IBJJF matches too in, in Abu Dhabi same thing whoever is better at wrestling generally has a giant advantage and usually wins right so to me that was a problem and he, I wrestled I came in as a wrestler, but I want to, I, all I'm interested in is what the best jujitsu is. So if a guy comes in with no jujitsu, but he has 10 years of wrestling and he wins a Naga because he just stalled everybody out into overtime and then just took everybody down that to me, that's a problem. That was a problem. So EBIOT was designed to take wrestling completely out of uh, the, the decision at the end. And 
not only does EBIOT take out um, the wrestling and 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 puts it all on the jujitsu, the, the the epitome of jujitsu, which is rear naked chokes and arm bars. That's what EBIOT is. It's, it's jujitsu over time. It shouldn't even be called EBIOT. Um, and there's no judges. It's all between you two. You have a rear naked choke shootout. You could do arm bar if you want, but generally it's a rear naked choke shootout. You both get a shot at the back. We take out the judges. There's no refs. It's just you guys decide. There's no points. There's no wrestling. So that was designed to, A, make it 100% about about jiu-jitsu. The OT, it's a jiu-jitsu tournament. The OT should be about jiu-jitsu, not about wrestling. I love wrestling, but in a jiu-jitsu tournament, it should be decided by jujitsu. So that's what the overtime was about. To make it about jujitsu, to take the refs out, to take the judges out, to take the points out, to take the advantages out. It's on you. You know, and, and when people say, oh, that's out of my comfort zone. And you're a jujitsu player and a rear naked choke shootout is out of your comfort zone? Yeah. Like, what is that? Like, what are you practicing? That's rear naked choke is jujitsu. Like, if you see someone with a shirt on and there's like a cartoon and a guy on his back choking him out, you're like, where do you train at, man? Right? It's like jujitsu. There's a guy on someone's back, boom, that's jujitsu, right? You know, but if you see a, a shirt of a guy like doing some kind of sweep or a pass on somebody, you'll be like, uh, do you, do you, do you uh, rollerblade? What do you do? You rollerblade? You know, what is that? <laughs> right? Like, so my OT, whether it's EBI or combat jujitsu, I even made a show on just the overtime. And I called it instead of EBI OT, I called it jujitsu overtime because that's what it is. It's jujitsu, it's rear naked choke and arm bars. So I, my whole philosophy when it comes to putting together a show is. You got to drop all tradition. You got to drop all bias and you got to make it all about uh, realism and entertainment. That's it. That's the only way you're going to have a successful show. It's got to be as real as possible and um, it's got to be entertaining too. Now let's make this even more entertaining now. Let me ask you some questions. Eddie, um, when did you realize that you're actually good in jiu-jitsu. Like, man, I think I can make a living of this now. When oh, did you realize I, that? I never thought I could make a living. As a matter of fact, back in, um, <clears throat> when I was a brown belt, there was a, a Muay Thai slash boxing gym called the Bomb Squad that was down the street, th- two blocks from my house. And I was a brown belt. And this was uh, 2002, 2003. And... The owner said, hey, you want to teach jiu-jitsu here? We need a ju- we want to have a jiu-jitsu program. It's a little shitty gym, bomb squad. And I'm like, uh, it would make zero dollars. Like, we would make no money. Like, who's going to want to learn jiu-jitsu from a Mexican brown belt? We got Jean-Jacques in the Valley. We got Hickson in West L.A. We got all these Brazilians everywhere. Who's going to want to learn jiu-jitsu from a, a Mexican brown belt? So I turned them down. I said, nah, dude, that's a bad idea. No, no one's going to want to learn jujitsu for me. And then a few months later, I go to Brazil. I get a lucky win over Hoyler and I come back. And I, you know, at that time I was working as a, a comedy writer for the man show on comedy central. I was working for comedy central when I went to Brazil and, and fought Hoyler and I hated that job. I hated it. Comedy central sucks. I hated working for that shit. And, um, I, uh, what happened when you came back? I quit. I said, you know what? I'm going to take that job at bomb squad. You know, I got a big win under my belt and, um, and you got your I'm black belt. I got my black belt. I'm like, Oh shit. I go, is the, is the job still uh, open? And he said, hell yeah. Called up Joe Rogan. And I said, dude, I got to quit this fucking job. Cause he was the host of the man show. And I was one of the writers and he brought me in. So, I told him, he, he knew, it's a long story, just the whole Comedy Central story and writing sketches for the man show and being a comedy writer and all that shit. That was, those were, it was a horrible time in my life. It was horrible. And, uh, <clears throat> and um, luckily, I got lucky against Hoyler and made a name for myself and I came back and I quit. Opened, opened up a jiu-jitsu class at that boxing gym, the Bomb Squad, 2003, first Thursday 
of June in 2003, 18 people showed up. I'm like, oh man, I could do this. I, I couldn't believe it. 18 people showed up. I got like on the underground. I'm like, I'm going to start teaching jujitsu now at the bomb squad. Yeah, I remember. And 18 guys showed up and I couldn't believe it. I'm like, what? What? I'm like, man, I got, I'm going to try to make them not regret that. That was my goal. I was like, I don't want them. Because everyone was like someone who left like a school, like Beverly Hills Jiu-Jitsu. And this Hickson came from here, guy from Orange County, you know. And I'm like, what? They want to learn Jiu-Jitsu from me? What? I couldn't believe it. And then um, didn't make money for a while. I mean, I was broke for a while, but uh, it was a dark time in my life. But, I, you know, Jiu-Jitsu saved my life in many ways, in many ways. Jiu-Jitsu, if it wasn't for Jiu-Jitsu, I might be dead right now for sure. No, you're not. I think you're a very artistic guy. You, you have other things that you like to do involved with music, involved with comedy. You know, you already have the arts on you. My job was just to show you that. And you are living proof that Jiu Jitsu does get inside of people's life and make lives a lot better. You know? Oh, same time. Life. The time that I met you and. Uh, on the beginning and to see you today become part of uh, the grappling world history. No one that I that I know and the, the, what we do, everyone knows who you are. You know, how do you feel? Most people hate me from, from, <laughs> but But to you know what I see, when people hate you, it shows to me that you must be doing something right. You know, you must be doing something that a lot of people like to be doing, but they never have the courage or the capability to do it and I got a lot of heat on my back not anymore because now you establish everybody respects you the way you deserve to be respect and we live in a very competitive world and look at you now how many 10th planet schools we have out there around the world uh, it's about 120 or something right now I mean I don't know many people that have a hundred schools around the world 10th planet you know <laughs> You must lucky. be doing something got, good too. You must I have a lot lucky. of people that like you too. <laughs> you know what it is? I'm just so, I'm afraid to charge a lot for the affiliation fee because I'm so ashamed that it's, it's, it's such a bargain because I don't have any courage to charge more. So that, you know, people, it, it'd be stupid to leave at such a, uh, a good price. <laughs> no, I, I think that's what it is. No, I give everyone such a good bargain. But no, do you know what, Eddie? Knowing you for all this time, and it's important that in every school has instructor face. You show that in the early days how to be a student. You became a fighter. You became a teacher. And now above all of that, you became a leader. You have... A lot of people following you. They like what you do. They like the way you teach. It has a lot of quality behind what you do. You, in a way, you create a new system on top of the jiu-jitsu system. You already came with a lot of people say, hey, you train at 10th Planet. You have techniques that the people do that, oh, you must learn in one 10th Planet school. How do you feel that? How, how today the transformation that you had in your life from early days until today to be someone that anywhere around the world you go and I know that because I ask a lot of people they know who you are I have people coming to me say oh it's Eddie still training I say yeah he does still training I see him every week but are people approaching me to ask about you I got lucky man I got lucky you know uh, you know the most the most important thing in my life right now is my family that's above all that's why i keep pushing that's why i keep pushing the jujitsu that's why i keep pushing everything is is my son my wife that's all that matters to me um i never thought i could be where i am uh in my life not not i did like financially i did not, not financially and i always thought you know i was really delusional i came to hollywood to be a rock star i thought a million percent i'm gonna be a huge rock star you I, are. there was there was no doubt in my mind that i was gonna be a huge but but my music ended up sucking but so, not a rock star but you're a star you know well, you made it you understand and and i let me tell you yeah, something. I, I appreciate let me that. tell you something because we have a lot of people that come and train at, at my school, our school. But in the early days, 
the commitment that you have. Monday, Wednesday, Friday morning, you came in, you do your map, you put your headgear on, your long hair, and you train for one hour plus nonstop. You never choose a partner. If some days you get murdered by people, next week you murder the same people, but you show a discipline. And when you say you were lucky, I have to disagree with you, you're not lucky. The discipline you have, the commitment you made in your life, all these years of Jiu-Jitsu brought you the results on your fighting skills, on your teaching skills. And uh, as a father today, as a leader of so many things, and I was very, I felt a lot too the day that you called me that said, hey, Jack, I, I'm about to get married or just got married. I guess I was one of the first few pe person, people that got that news straight from you. And yeah, we didn't tell anybody, we eloped. <laughs> but somehow I felt, and I do feel very proud of all the accomplishments that you have, and you never gave up. You pursue and made it happen. And a lot of people there in the beginning, oh, Eddie, he's crazy. No, he's not crazy. He's one of the smartest, smartest guys that I know all these years. And here we are talking about Eddie Bravo, his whole journey of jiu-jitsu. And <laughs> the amazing thing is like a movie. I watch all of this happening. It, you, know? you know, it had nothing to do with work ethic. My work ethic is garbage. You know, you know why I trained so hard is because it was so much fun. Jiu-jitsu was to me was just I couldn't believe I was getting good at killing people, and the the uh, the act of getting good at it was sparring and practicing killing people. And I'm like. How come everybody isn't doing this? I'm getting good at killing people. Not only killing people, but killing people that are experts at killing people. Like killing regular people, like 99.9999% of the population, like the survival rate. Uh, yeah, that's easy. Like killing, killing, killing regular people. That's like this. It's boring. Like when a guy comes in, no matter how athletic he is his first day, you don't want to really go with them. You're like, oh, you know what? Go with those other beginners, you know. And then when you get good, then we'll start. With, then we'll roll. But right now, just take it easy. You don't want to go with a guy who never trained. It's too easy, you know. We get obsessed with killing people that are experts at killing people that are experts at killing people. That's what made it so much fun. That's the only reason I was dedicated and had work ethic is because it was so much fun. Jiu-Jitsu is a virtual reality video game. I've said that many times. And and it just, it's, it's never ending. There's but, just so many ways to uh, put humans to sleep and it's fascinating and it never gets old and everybody's got a different style and then you got to come up with new things and but you did you do something that uh even to this day i don't see very often in any mat that i go to whenever people ask me about you because especially when they find out how long i've been here and i'm like yeah when i started i think you were a purple belt you might have been like a i don't think you i don't you didn't have stripes on your belt right you were probably a purple belt because I, I remember a couple of guys. I had don't stripes. think you put stripes on belts. No, no I never that, had stripes on belts. That's something new. I never yeah. had stripes yeah. on anything. Yeah. I think you were purple. Yeah. I think you were purple already. You, you see the belt by the collar. It's like, oh man, that's being losing their collar. <laughs> you must strength it was for a long time. Yeah, it was either your blue belt was almost white, or you my were purple, purple belt was almost white. Yeah, he wouldn't to. give me my brown belt. I had my purple for four and a half years. I was mad. But I, I was like, <laughs> but, but I, I, people ask me all the time. You know, they would say, uh, you know, what was it like? What was what was Eddie like? You know, and I'm like, the one thing I remember, and I go, even to this day, it's something that I observe when I step on the mat. I go, I would walk on the mat, and there was always like, you know, the mat before class. It, it can be like a social time. People are talking, whatever. Some people will be warming up or stretching, but you were always off in the corner with somebody anybody just drilling drilling i just remember that like todd white before todd yeah white. before the rubber guard there was yeah. just like or w the birth of the rubber guard like you're drilling 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 yeah, a lot of people do over. not know but eddie eddie used to train monday wednesday friday mornings, and saturday morning and too. saturday and was no class on tuesday and thursday morning which he contacts some of his friends i think it was todd white and yeah Frank thursday Martinez, thursday afternoon whatever. i would drive todd white was a cartoonist or a uh, I, I, I guess I was just yeah. at Nickelodeon. He was doing like he was working. He would design. He was a character design on SpongeBob, 
and we had a deal and we but we we understood the power of drilling go if we drill these techniques more than the people in class we will be better than them it was just science to us it was just numbers to us so we just had to put you know put together a half an hour of just constant drilling and we know we would surpass people in class so that that's what we were doing we were trying to be better than everyone else in class so we would drill on thursday i would drive to nickelodeon my my the part of uh, the uh, the part of the deal that i had a had a, a, a do was drive to his work and he would be at work and instead of taking the, his lunch break there was a gym inside of Nickelodeon, a basketball gym, and he would take his mats. He had portable mats. He would have them in the back of his truck, and I would show up for his lunch. We would grab the mats, set them up in the basketball gym, and we would just run through these drills. We'd just run through them. And um, when they would pop up in our sparring, we would call each other and go, dude, it popped up. I pulled this off. I pulled that off. And then we knew. It was, just, it was like a science to us. Like We, just, we practiced this, and we're going to be able to do it. No. Yeah, we, I, I don't believe in lucky. I believe that you're ready, the opportunity to come, and you're ready to go. And this is another part of what people, I don't think, knew that, the discipline of your training. And the result of the success you have on all the 10th planet, not just as a school, but be able to, to have a very good quality students. Because there's a lot of tournaments we see out there a lot of 10th planets on the top of the food chain. I have amazing students, you know, not only with their technique, just, just beautiful people through and through and just love everywhere. You know, every city that I have a 10th planet affiliate at, it's like, you know, yeah, I love there. You know, you're going to get treated like family. And that's the most important. But you create, of, you create that environment, you know? I just want a good, positive environment. I don't want, I'm just trying to, you know what? I just want because my family, I All of your students really like you, man. All of your students. I have one that I speak with. They loved you. And that tells your character. They could hate you, but they don't. No, they some really do. Love you. <laughs> They're just gone. <laughs> they just left. But some, not all of them like me. But I, I just, I'm just trying to raise my family in the best way possible i just want my son to have everything that i didn't have i, I my i my life is all about my do son th and do you think today can say you have a jiu-jitsu lifestyle yes i think i do have a jiu-jitsu lifestyle <laughs> for sure you know my son though is into karate <laughs> he don't want to do jiu-jitsu right now it's you know I, I go eventually he's eight and he's been doing karate since he was three and i don't mind you know my son wants to go his own way and he just wants to be a striker and you know he's like 1920 and i'm like my son don't do jiu-jitsu but he's a badass striker i think that's way cool too but i think when he's 12 or 13 i'm gonna hire a jiu-jitsu kid and give him 20 bucks and you know have have him choke my son out so that my son could <laughs> come to his dad and say daddy can you show me that that stuff you've been trying to show me i go i've been trying to show you you know so eventually i'll trick him into learning oh, i have no doubt he will, <laughs> he will learn and he learned from one of the best ones out there. but he's really into baseball though he i mean it's all so about when, baseball when i it's met you you're really into football yeah he likes baseball for a while there he was doing he wanted he's he just wants to carve his own way he just wants to do his own thing he make his own decisions he's eight years old he decides where we eat you know what i mean he he it's it's all about him he makes the decisions it's very important that he makes decisions but um I'll get someone to choke him out. I'll but, give him a little grace grace in action we, I showed him grace in action i tried to, I thought that would work. You know, because he's in the karate and I go, you know what? I'm going to show him Gracie in action because you hear the story of Gracie in action, which is <clears throat> uh, um, it's, a, it's a documentary where the Gracies videotaped themselves going to Hapkido gyms and karate gyms and challenging the instructor. And then they end up having a fight and then jujitsu always wins. They always choke him out. Hoyler did it. Uh, Horion did it a bunch. Hoist did it. Hickson. And uh, it's called Gracie in Action. Usually when you watch that, you want to drop everything and run to your nearest jujitsu school. That's the effect it had on most people. You watch Gracie in Action, you're like, oh my God, I got to learn that shit. Uh, not my son though. My son, he just hurt him so much because he's so into karate. 
and all these karate guys are getting just brutalized and I'm trying to enlighten him and he was like I think six at the time and he's watching it's really painful he couldn't watch it and then he gets up and he walks away and goes I go get back in here here watch this one just watch one more he goes daddy I know it he's gonna take him down and he's gonna choke him out I already know (laughs) I go not this one not this one and he goes really not this one I said no 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 no. watch this one this one that doesn't happen and then it happens (laughs) and he gets so mad so then I thought man maybe I I messed up I I came too hard at him so now he's like fuck jujitsu I'm like "All right, damn I'm gonna have to go to plan B wait till he's 12 get him jumped (laughs) I'll do I'll I'll work it out I'll figure it out I'll get him Let me ask you this. Who, who's Eddie Bravo? I asked you that uh, before. I don't know if it's going to be the same answer, a, but a let me... poor Mexican kid from Santa Ana who uh, grew up with nothing and who got lucky and fell in love with jiu-jitsu and, um, you know, learned from the best, you know, without your guidance. I mean, I, I heard so many different... Um, stories from people growing up in jiu-jitsu and, and their relationship with their instructors. And I'm like, me and Jean-Jacques have just had the perfect relationship. Like you, anytime I needed an answer for jiu-jitsu, anytime I got, I hit a roadblock, I never, I never questioned, well, 99.99999, again, the survival rate. I never questioned, mostly didn't question any any of the advice you gave with jujitsu when you when I came to you for, with a question you always had the answer you always had the answer uh, you know you never stopped me from wanting to explore different avenues you always encouraged uh, creativity you always encouraged uh, um, me to just find my own way but you were very involved in that way as crazy as a 10th planet is I tell everybody John Jock's the grand master when I refer to you you're it's always grand master you know um, even though it's 10th planet jiu-jitsu it the basis of the system comes from Jean-Jacques. I couldn't have done it without him. And we never had a, there's never been a falling out. Maybe we had a couple of disagreements like, um, uh, there was, uh, 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 there was this one time where it was a Joe Murray tournament. I was a blue belt and I went for a knee bar and, uh, I, I, they said knee bars and straight ankle locks were legal and I got DQ'd for going for a knee bar. And that was like, it was like the only tournament. So my division had like 45 people in it. I was so mad. I was like, ah, oh, you, you said we could do knee bars and, and now you DQ'd me. And, and I was like looking for everyone to help me. And I found Johnny cause Johnny was there. And back then it was Johnny Higgin, John Jock, Carlos, everybody working together at the tournament. And I went to Johnny go, Johnny, they just screwed me. They, they DQ'd me for a knee bar. And he said, Hey man, you, you know that, you know, you're going to have to like, he, he didn't, argue for me and I got really really mad and I went to Jean Chalk I'm like no one's taking my back I got ripped off or anymore other than that other than being mad for that um me and Jean Jock have had just the perfect relationship oh through the years even you know even even when I wasn't even around for uh many years because I'm trying to I'm trying to put together the 10th planet association and I was just running around you know, just all over the world doing seminars and shit. I couldn't get out here and train like I wanted to, you know. I'm, like, lately, I've been I trying to at least make it once a week back here, you know. Um, I got to focus most of my time at my school and the school. I got so many schools in Southern California. I can't, I haven't even made it to all of the schools in Southern California. You know, so it's like, it's really overwhelming. You know, it's like sometimes, like, my head wants to explode. But you guys have a really special relationship because, I mean, I, I help John Jock with, with his association his organization and it's just amazing being here as long as i have uninterrupted seeing all the different people coming and going the people that have branched off and you did you you kind of left you started your your brand but i mean your guys revere you but they i would almost not quite but worship this man right here because of you and your leadership. I mean, I can't tell you how many friends I have on social media that I've never met, but they rep you. And I know it's because of my connection. I mean, I can't tell them enough. You know, when you're in LA, if you can come and see Jean-Jacques, they love it. 
guys, I mean, it's part of the trip. You come to HQ, you put your 10th planet, you come to HQ, but you go see the Grand Master too if you can. You know, try, you know, uh, that's part of the system. You know, Jean Jacques is is. Uh, I will. I, I, I will. I will have to add a few things on you, knowing you all for all this time. It's um, as an instructor. I feel the way I learn is my instructors. They give me the tools and to myself and many other people at the same time, but not everybody learned how to use their tools. And I think you learn in a way that you even create a lot of the new tools and transform the grappling world the way you did. You create a system like the rubber guard and a lot of the techniques and has such a unique name that came beyond the things that I was able to teach you. Now I'm learning from you. And this is amazing is when you say lucky, I think a lot of people don't realize is the day in, day out that you put in training wise, never complain about anything or any refuse to train if any partner. And I know a lot of the trains were very hard on you. Uh, when you get ready for what when you were getting ready for your fight and metamorphosis, you came in and show up and train and the dedication. And I think a lot of the things later on in life that happened to us is the reward of all this time and dedication. And to see someone from the beginning until the person that you are today, because when we do jiu-jitsu, you can't lie. We are, we show ourselves on the mat. And that's the amazing thing in what we do is that. You showed yourself on the mat. You never lie about anything that what you do and outside the mat. And I knew you as a, I'd like a glass I could see through you. A lot of people didn't. But man, I'm very, I would say, proud and very honored to to have a little spice into all of this that you accomplish. Poetti um, is one of the most successful students I, I ever had in my school. And it's just, to me, it's just the beginning of the things that you will accomplish and creating that amazing and giving so much opportunity to the new people that are coming to the sport. Thank you, my brother. Very very, very honored to for, have you here, Eddie. Thank you for having okay. me, man. Thank Nothing you, but love. Nothing yeah, but love, and, man. Um, Just trying to make it through these times. So much, so much. And to see the beginning now that you, you also become a father and a family man, which is uh, an incredible thing. And uh, maybe a lot of people did not see you the way I did, and I think I showed everyone that I was right. And see who you are today, it's incredible. Um so much more to talk about and through all these 20 plus 25 26 years that i know you and uh thank you everyone for another no gi require with Eddie bravo the 10th planet man and i think so much more to talk about and we're going to have him back here many more times but i'll leave one thing for people there we can talk next time about flat earth <laughs>